Welcome to the Lighthouse Conversations. I'm Hashem Montasser, and today we're talking coffee. Orit Mohammed is the founder of the amazing Boon Coffee that we serve here at the Lighthouse. Her mission, which she embodies through Boon, is to source 100% Arabica coffee beans directly from Ethiopia, where she's from. Growing up around coffee, watching her grandparents and parents serve a cup to guests, going through an elaborate three-stage process, these are all part of Orit's formative memory of her hometown, and in a way, became part of her oral history. And here's something I didn't know. Traditionally in Ethiopia, coffee is served with popcorn. That's, that's our dessert in Ethiopia. We don't have a lot of sweets. Salted popcorn or? Salted popcorn. Okay, regular popcorn. Yeah, so it's, it's, even coffee wasn't drank with sugar until the 1960s, 70s. So everything was, not, not a lot of sweets in our diet. So the popcorn, and the first round, which is a bowl, is given to the main guest, everybody, the, the main, the older people who were here. So we would, we would be the ones standing in line to pass the coffee because as my mom or whoever made the coffee, hands it to us, we would run and give it to the person. And once the person takes a sip, they say it umbun, which means good coffee. So you always wait for the nod from the... Uh, the approval, basically. Yes, everybody. So this goes, so you could have from five to 20 people tasting the coffee. Then the second coffee, the second batch, same coffee. We just add water and let it boil again. So the second round comes in. And the last round is called uh, baraka. So it's the bar- mm, Actually baraka from some from Arabic. Yes. Okay. Even abol, I think, is from Arabic as awal. As you know, coffee first was traded by the Yemeni traders. So I think some of the words got the Trade, got retained. Yes. So abol, I, I honestly think it means awal, but... And what makes them think of it as baraka? So what brings that in and thinking of it as a blessing? It's the last one. It's the same coffee ground you've used the third time. And this is just a blessing that it still can make some kind of coffee. So, and they boil it. And that is it's the lightest out of the three. And it's the one that is given to even the younger kids. So the younger kids in the room then gets to have... Oh, so even the younger kids get to drink coffee. That last one, it becomes the lightest. And usually that's how the coffee. So this it's usually the the most exciting time for everybody. And does that ritual then continue throughout the day, or that's just a morning thing and then that's it? No, this I used to catch it on the afternoon thing. Ah, okay. Because so you were in school and you would come yeah, back. Yeah, this and is usually you catch your mother with her friends. Yes, usually this happens around four o'clock every day after asr prayer. So every day. Every day. So this in our house happened at four because my mom was also a working mom. So when she came back, we came, everybody would gather. To this day now, it still happens. Usually if you uh, uh, stay home moms or a woman of the house, do it in the morning too. So you could have one or twice, but almost every household, this is how they drink coffee. And have Ethiopians that live abroad, like yourself, for example, in diaspora or in other countries, do they retain those habits or is it just when you go home? We still have it the same way, but it takes a long time. Yes, it takes 45 to an hour just for the first round of coffee to come out. So it's not easy. So if you go to Ethiopia and you try to order coffee in the villages, especially now, it will take that long and you can't rush it. There's nothing yeah, to yeah, rush. Yeah, yeah. It's a whole ritual. So it takes, uh, it's a, but you know, it, it's also the form of entertainment. So, but when you have the smell of coffee, you'll have a lot of people coming in in the neighborhood or people working in that area and everybody gets coffee. 
I mean, to my mind, that totally beats the five o'clock tea. Yeah. You know, anyway, I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. We might have some British, you know, uh, British uh, listeners in the audience. I don't upset them, but to me, that's a lot cooler than five o'clock tea. Yeah. I'm going to see, adopt your ritual. No, you'll see, it, especially if you're driving in the villages, you'll see this, the smokes from the coffee, the roasting of the coffee, a lot of places. That's brilliant. Okay. So you grew up clearly very much with coffee being visible part of your day-to-day -day life and your family's life. Uh, then you went to the States. Yes. So I studied, I uh, went to the States. I studied, obviously, African development, economics. Again, we're going back to the UN. You didn't stop. Of course. I was going to work. It all goes back to the UN. Yes. It was going to be the UN. I was going to be a UN. <laughs> I'm going to have a special diplomatic uh, passport. That was the, the goal. <laughs> yes. So I, but, you know, working a lot of NGOs, especially when I graduated, I went to, I finished at Howard University. I did a master's in African development. It's just things is not always as it seems. There was a pivot there. Yes. Uh, you met someone. No. You didn't meet someone yet. Well, you're going to meet someone eventually. We're going to get to that eventually, part. Eventually, not okay, then. Okay. okay. okay the okay. pivot didn't happen it's pivot, not that early. Okay, fine. fine. So you finished Howard University. Yes. So, And I was working in, in a few of the NGOs. And it just seemed, you know, not exactly what I thought uh, at the beginning. So the whole World Bank NGO uh un work so i was trying to figure out what to do but i was still because my education led me to work in that kind of uh, defense contract that kind of field consulting that i was working there but i decided you know i'm gonna have to give it a try i'm gonna need to go back to ethiopia move back and try to figure out what i wanted to do because I didn't know. I really didn't know well, at that sure. time. Which but, is normal. Uh, but I knew I wanted to be in some kind of non-governmental um, agency. Not happy. Not that my parents were happy about that, but I wanted to go back and start something. So, but I was, I was actually climbing very fast in this consulting field. I decided to go back. That's when I met somebody. Uh huh. You see. Well, I know the ending of that story. That's why I was uh, okay. So you met someone. Your no, but husband. I was moving back. I was moving back as soon as uh, I had actually submitted my resignation. I was going to go back to Ethiopia and work, uh, maybe in a not necessarily the big num NGOs, but the smaller ones. So I was going to go back. So I, uh, I moved to Ethiopia and I worked a year with the family in Ethiopia. And while I was, but then I got married. Yes. Orit moved over to Dubai with her husband and her baby, and she was pregnant with her second baby at the time. As she began adjusting to her new life, the idea for her new venture already started taking shape. I, I came from a family of working women. My mother was working. My grandmother was working. I always tell people, oh, it's amazing. You girls, all of you are working. I'm an African. As an African woman, you see women working. Do you ever see a picture of an African woman sleeping on no, the beach? No, most of the men are sleeping. There. She has a baby on her back, a basket on her head, and things <laughs> on her hands. Because this is how, in, 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 in reality, in Ethiopia, in Harar, the part I, I was from, the women were the farmers, the coffee farmers, the pot coffee pickers. So for me, it's uh, sitting at home wasn't... Uh, something I aspire to or I wanted to do, regardless of what I did, I knew I was going to be working. The the thing changed. What in which uh, area am I going to be working? Is the only question I had because as soon as I had the babies, I mean I was working until the last day, and the, I started thinking. But I realized though that the work I wanted to do was completely different than the work I have been planning all my life for. So was the idea behind Boone then to do necessarily with coffee or wanting your own business? 
or a combination of both or wanting your own flexibility in terms of, you know, obviously when you own your own business, as stressful as it is, and, you know, I run my own business as well, so I know how stressful it is, but obviously you have some flexibility in terms of managing your time or was it, oh, no, coffee, this is a passion. I want to do something around that. How did this idea form? Oh, you have to understand, I came here, I'm an Ethiopian girl at the end of the day. I am an Ethiopian. So the only Ethiopians in Dubai had such a negative connotation because everybody only discussed, yeah, the perception was that all the Ethiopian young girls who looked exactly like me were, you know, domestic helps. So it, I felt sad that there were none, no Ethiopians everywhere I kept getting mistaken for that. And it's not a big deal for me. It's, of course, it's just a job, you know. I know for a fact that the difference between a domestic helper here and me is, you know, uh, opportunities. I had, my grandfather had an opportunity to leave the village. Her grandfather probably didn't, something like that. So so I wanted something positive, really. I wanted to do that, that whole Ethiopianness came back again. So I want, because when I was in America, you know, when I was in college, university, it was just cool. It was nothing to think about. But here, I had to face the reality of as an Ethiopian girl, what do I want to do? I wanted to do something that, you know, kind of puts a nice shine on Ethiopia. So a big motivation was breaking the stereotype. Completely. I wanted to. So I want because it would have been easier to send something to Ethiopia. A lot of the Ethiopians in, or a lot of the Africans in this region usually make their money by exporting things from here. So I thought, why not? Drink. Yes, I, I really wanted and I didn't think I, I thought coffee. I knew I knew coffee well because I've been drinking it all my life. Yes. And I grew up and our grandparents were coffee farmers. So I knew coffee well and I have a lot of coffee connection. I have friends who own farms, family. So I said, why not coffee? But I didn't think it was going to be anything big. I thought it was going to be something small, but it would get me to talk about the positivity of Ethiopia. So you started the business, we'll fast forward a little bit here, um, and it started as B2B, is that correct? So just to explain here to, to, to listeners, so that means essentially you're supplying to establishments like restaurants and, and others. So for example, us as a lighthouse, we are very fortunate to have your wonderful coffee. So that's how you started the business. Yeah, it took a long time. Yes, it took a, at least uh, two years because I kept going to every every restaurant, every restaurant I see in the mall and anywhere I would ask them. And in the beginning, I didn't realize the, how the uh, ordering happened because I would go to the the hostess and ask her, do you want to buy the coffee? And of course, usually she would be like, no, we already have a coffee. Yes. So it took a long time to realize. But... Uh, I didn't set out to set, do business with the uh, B2B. I thought I would sell it to customers. So my, my website, my first website was all about delivering home, but no, nobody knew I existed. So nobody was ordering, right? I didn't yeah, know. It's very different business. I mean, you have to directly connect with consumers yes. versus connecting with restaurants that may obviously already have a some kind of coffee supply. Yeah. It's just convincing them now that you are essentially quote unquote better than or more suitable for them than others. Yes. So this is why it took a while for even for if, if you see my first writing, it's completely different from what I thought it was going to be. So the first time I was delivering all the coffees to just basically, I was probably selling 20 kilos a month to the my people I know. People. 20 kilos, how much I consume. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, so I, it's my friends, literally, yeah. literally, so my neighbors and my friends. A lot. I mean, yeah. So um, okay, and then what was the pitch? So you were coming to again, this just the lighthouse, and you're coming to to Hashem, and you're like, well, you know, I, I I own this coffee company called Boone. 
what was the pitch? Is it because it's Ethiopian? Uh, is it because it's higher quality? Is it because it's organic? Is it because it's locally roasted? What's your pitch? No, it was first, the first people who bought it was purely on taste. Mm. On taste. Sure, that's, I love that. Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't, I did not even know the pitch. Yes. Because at that time in Dubai, uh, seven years ago, when I finally started the business, people were not interested in, uh, let's say locally, uh, local uh, food. They wanted the more European. Everything had to be important. Yes. So when I used to say, oh, we roasted this and this is from Ethiopia, they, they kept telling me, do you have Italian coffee? Let me know when you have Italian coffee. So it was it was really weird because in the States, it's already started the or, uh, finding out where your food is coming from, your the origin of coffee or the origin of any product was becoming in the front line. But here it's still a little slower. So everybody was still caught up in the... Uh, you know, the European, the West, the, or the Australian, that kind of brands were the ones who were making it here. When we come back, we talk about how Boone has also adopted a business-to-consumer known as B2C model and the impact the so-called third-wave coffee movement has on the farmers themselves. Welcome back. I'm Hashem Montasser and you're listening to The Lighthouse Conversations with our guest, Orit Mohammed. I'd moved to Dubai around 15 years ago and used to travel to the UK quite often for work. And I remember my mother taking an interest in my travels all of a sudden. Only later did she admit that her real interest was knowing when I would be in London to pick up some of her favorite French roast coffee beans. We didn't quite have that coffee culture in Dubai in those days when Boone initially started out. We were still deep in what is known as the second wave of coffee. At, at that time, it wasn't a lot of, uh, maybe there was two coffee roasters who were roasting here in Dubai. But other than that, everybody was just still stuck on the, the imported coffee. But then you had the explosion of third wave, single origin, all of that. Yeah, the third wave was happening. In, already, but the Already, yeah. Where uh, did it start? The, you concept? know, the first wave, talking about third wave. Yeah. So the first wave is that people or drinking instant coffee or any coffee just to wake up. You didn't care. Like, you know, your grandmother, she would make coffee instant from, boom, and, boom, yeah. in a can or some, if it's um, in this part, she would make the Turkish or the Ibrik type of coffee. Definitely in our case it was Turkish. And then the, the, the second wave came in with the, when Starbucks or I, I credit Starbucks, but it could be any, but the local cafes start offering more than just coffee a cup of joe as they say but giving you like the cappuccinos the yes the cappuccinos the macchiatos and you know a lot has to do with the italian so that kind of transformed the, the, to the rest of the world where you could go somewhere and order a latte which you couldn't before yeah you had black coffee with milk or black coffee that was your only options in a lot of part of the world except maybe italy and that part, maybe in Europe, they had more options. So then the third wave came in when people are asking, where is the coffee from? Where is this coffee from? Where, how is it growing? Which region? And now we have, which farm? Now yeah, people are asking. Said. Also, the US, you started having farm to table, exploded in the UK, Australia, all of those places. Yes. People started wanting to know sources. Yes. Organic, source. not organic, ethical, exactly. not ethical, all of that. Yes. In a way, it has helped. The, the smaller countries of coffee producers, such as Ethiopia, even though Ethiopia is, I think, the fourth or the fifth largest ex, uh, exporter of coffee, because Ethiopian coffee is still done by small farmers. So it's not big conglomerates who own huge coffee farms, which means that 
for people who grow really good coffee, they'll get better price because when people realize that they're buying coffee from this farm instead of the whole region, yeah, before nobody cared that there was coffee, they would mix all the coffees, the good, the bad. Same. So now, so the, it, it's now coffee became, you know, it's, a, it's, it's no longer just a commodity. So with the explosion that happened, I think you're about to speak about this in coffee and single origin coffee and generally just obviously interest in coffee around the world exploded. Um, has that trickled down? Because obviously these companies are doing or will be doing very well and they have profited enormously. But um, because you go back home and you talk to farmers and you obviously source from them, have has there been a, bene a benefit to them in the way we expect it or not? Not the way we we expected and not the way it should be but it ha it has the coffee farmers are better off per se let's say in let's say 20 years ago however not necessarily that much better off because you'll see a lot of the coffee farmers are changing crops especially in ethiopia because it's not uh it it's a heritage they've done it because grandparents did it great grandparents but the newer generation i don't think a lot of them will do continue to do the coffee because it's a labor intensive work and it doesn't pay much it doesn't but isn't it interesting i mean so why are they not benefiting is it because those big companies are coming in and not giving them a fair price because you think with demand increasing globally so much you know people will be producing more and, and raising their prices but it seems to me that the price raising is happening on the consumer side <laughs> But the, the 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 growers and the farmers are not really getting a big chunk of that economics. No, no, not at all. Uh, because you know the uh, it's, education has a lot. There are some agencies right now that are working trying to elevate their. Let's say if somebody's doing a basic coffee, that to elevate it to a higher level. Because selling the the farmer does not sell to the roaster or to the end user like goes to right? middleman there is a middleman there's a couple of middlemen in the middle not a lot of people go to origin to buy coffee so when you buy coffee most coffee roasters most in the world buy from uh trading houses these huge trading houses and so the trading houses they're trying to maximize their profit so when they go and they buy let's say a region they buy they they negotiate not necessarily in bulk and therefore they drive the price down do you go directly to so where do you source from what's your so, process ethiopia is more complicated there's three ways you could source uh, coffee in ethiopia one is yeah you have to go through the exchange they set up a system where the at least there is a minimum met for the farmers the, at least the price of new york is met which is fine because that will give them the commodity price. But if you're a specialty coffee, that kind of loses your value because you're giving the basic minimum kind of thing. So you can buy it from the exchange. The second way is you can buy it from the unions and the co-ops, the, the unions and the co-ops. And the third way is you can buy it from farmers. But the farmers who are able to export until recently have been the bigger farmers. So they benefit because that means that a farmer who's able to export is usually who uh, who's a much more established, not the smaller farmer. So it's a it's a tricky thing when you buy from farmers. So if you want to go buy it from the union, maybe the unions will have a lot of small farmers, but then you lose uh, the quality because you cannot trace it directly to that specific farm. So it's a I think they're trying to change the laws this year's this last two years but it hasn't necessarily it's not as clear
And as Boon, how many currently, how many different beans do you sell? Uh, we have about eight uh, different eight uh, varieties. varieties because, you know, Ethiopia people always say at the beginning, when I first especially started, why just Ethiopia expand? Why do you have only Ethiopia? Why not? I always said, why not Ethiopia? Ethiopia has over 5,000 types of coffee that has been classified. We're still the home of the country where have, there's a lot of wild coffee. There's a lot of every type of coffee you can think of, you can taste. There's somehow DNA and DNA is rooted back to the Ethiopian coffee. Somewhere left that part and has been planted somewhere else. Why not? So it didn't make sense, especially from Dubai, where Ethiopia is so close. You know, it's three hours, three and a half hours away. Okay, so you started B2B, but then now you're coming back again to B2C and you're establishing your own uh, coffee outlets, right? That's very recent. So you're now in the Pachika in, Mo in uh, Nakhil Mall. You have an outlet there. You're also in Crate and Barrel, correct? Yes. So this this is the very scary. This having running a cafe, um, it's not as easy as it seems. Yes. Tell me about it. Yes. Uh, more than anything, it requires time. And time is something I don't have because with, I have three children, you know, running the other, the main roastery. So it's not, but it's it's fun. Did you do it because you feel you wanted to be closer to the customers or do you do it because you think it's better business? I mean, give us just some sense. I, I actually... You, you the, have a great uh, network of, of, of restaurants you sell to in Dubai today yeah, and elsewhere. It's literally just fell on my left kind of thing. A friend called me and asked if I wanted to be there. And having a cafe is you know, everybody's dream, right? Not necessarily mine. I never really actually wanted a cafe because I know how complicated, because I work with a lot of cafes. I know how complicated it is. But this came in an opportunity for us because everybody keeps asking us, where can we taste your coffee? Where do you have your brand? At the lighthouse. <laughs> I tell them. I really do tell them. And you you match it well with all your food too. So, yes. Thank you. So, we we were saying, okay, let's have one uh, trying to see. And both both uh, Crate and Barrel, because we work with MAF, so they asked us. So, the MAF one is almost a coffee uh, espresso kiosk, right? Kind of thing. Like an express almost type of yes. kiosk. Yes. But, but you have a proper one in, in Depachika, in, yeah. in the Leona Hill Mall on the top. Yes. I'm glad you can pronounce it Depachika. Well, it's my Japanese heritage now. Oh, really? Yes, it must be. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and how do you source? Because obviously, and we're very grateful to you for, for helping us with the training and all of that, but it's also complicated to find good baristas. Yes. So again, you know, it's just... Trial and error. Uh, yeah, it, it, and we've had, um, we, we lose, even for the Dipachika uh, place. Not bad. Do you have Japanese heritage too? Must be the two of us. We'll I look do, at the, the uh, DNA thing. We, uh, we're going to look DNA at our DNA after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think both of us. I mean, I knew it. Makes sense. It makes sense. Explains all our good tastes as well. I agree, Dipachika. Okay, so the I had somebody resign the day it opened. So, you know, working with with people is very hard. So... I, I, you know, running the restaurant is much, much harder than I even, I can't even imagine. I just sell coffee in that place, nothing else, and still complicated. Because one is that you have to be consistent all the time, all the time. So for me, usually when we're doing the roasting, we taste the coffee in the morning or I taste it in the afternoon, the new roast, the new batch that's coming in, we program it, we're set. But when you have somebody making a coffee every day, you, it depends on that barista's mood. How is he feeling? Did he calibrate the machine? It's a very personal Yes, and, and once if the coffee is bad, the customer 
when that thing is the barista, they will say, oh, the boon is bad. Yes. So, you you know, and I, I we do calibration for all the clients we have with customers. We, we make sure. And sometimes if I know if a barista is giving me a hard time, if it's not trained well or it's not into it or his, his mind is not there, that the coffee is not going to taste good. And we keep going back to the same. As soon as the barista is trained properly or changes, you'll see the difference. But people... Because you know, in the making of the coffee, the, it's the when I took uh, I took a couple of people to the coffee farm in Ethiopia to see how coffee was sourced in uh, Sidamo region, and I went with Yale from Baker and Spice. What she said is, "I will never throw a cup of coffee away again." I wasn't invited. I just want to say that. I, I well, maybe you maybe you no, missed maybe the, the invite the just was is lost in the middle. It's we, very we possible. Go. But because uh, because if you see how many people work on that cup of coffee that nobody realized from the picking you know it's picked by hand by each cherry is picked by hand it's not machine picking so and then the sorting there's so many level of sorting and a lot of the time it's women bend back you know bend from their back so by the time the barista gets it so many people have touched the, the coffee and had tried to give you the best coffee cup but that last person makes the biggest difference so so trying to keep it consistently good is the hardest part for the cafes. Do you involve your children or your husband in any way in your business or do you blend it or is it sort of just like, I'm leaving guys, see you later? No, no, nothing is, everything's blended. You have, you can't own a business and cut it off at certain yeah. time. So, so they see you doing this? All the time, all mm. the time. And you take them with you? Everywhere. Uh, so. Uh, and what is their, what is their impression of their mom, you think? I mean, obviously that's your view. Not very good, they don't think that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you allow them to drink the light coffee or no? No. Oh, you don't? I, You're I them your be, they, Because we don't do the third one. Because they, I tell them they'll be short, you know. <laughs> don't want to risk it. <laughs> I feel like if they listen to this podcast, they're going to feel like short change. Because you used to taste the coffee, but they don't get to taste it. That, it was different times. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like that. Fair no, enough. But uh, no, the coffee, they, my husband, I think we finally found his passion through coffee it's not the drinking of the coffee it's design so he's been he oh, likes really? to, yeah he wants to fix everything design it i swear so i'm like when did this happen wow it happened when you started the business that's yes, brilliant because me i'm not one of those design people oh, you're not so one to ten what grade does he get in terms of this design we won't quote you we can always cut this out if this becomes problematic yeah it's going to become problematic because he thinks he's a 10 <laughs> <laughs> And let's just say you think he's less than 10. Yes, okay. but, but you know, I, I really am not, we're completely opposite. I do not see the anything, even colors. <laughs> I think I might be blind, colorblind or something. It's but good it to find out now. See, I got nervous coming to design district. That's the only time <laughs> I get nervous because everybody here is a designer. <laughs> so the, that's, So he likes to do that part when we're opening. He's there trying to give comments and getting things done so which is really a relief and license in this country you have to have so many licenses so those things he does but i'm usually doing just the coffee part uh, just this weekend when i was at uh, the uh, nakhin mall i saw a family came in with their nanny and she got so excited the nanny because she saw the um, coffee pot the ethiopian coffee pot and she's yeah she pointed to the uh, to the family she was with and they said, oh, she said, that's ours, that's ours. And I, I, I spoke to her and she's like, look, at that's ours. And I said, yeah, it's mine. 
She was so happy. She was so happy. So I said, let me give you, uh, the Ethiopians drink a lot of macchiatos, a small macchiatos. So I gave her, she was so happy. She kept, she was so happy. You know, it's, it's, it's really, it's a joyous moment like this because now when I'm, uh, when people ask me, you know, because now, you know, the business is doing well, alhamdulillah, and things are going well. But still as a, you know, a woman of color. As a woman, period. I, in, I take every box yeah. there is to take. You know, I mean, you know, as a woman starting her own business <laughs> yes, in, a, a mother, in a foreign country, mother yes. of three, a woman it's, of color. I mean, all of uh, you tick, 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 tick all the boxes. Every box. Yeah. A Muslim at that. Yeah, here we go. At the Muslim part, great. <laughs> no, but seriously, but, uh, you know, you, you don't think of it, but I've spoken a couple of times in schools and a lot of the young girls, and it's so weird how young girls are the ones who pay the most attention when I'm speaking. And I'm not surprised. Young boys don't need pay any attention. Yeah, I they really son. don't. I, yeah, I, so, I, I've seen them in classes. <laughs> yes. So, you know, when you start business, I don't think anybody thinks that they're going to be a role model. But it, this, the fact, especially in the Middle East, to, uh, to break that stereotype. Because when I first came from America, I really thought I was kind of exotic. Yeah. I thought exotic was a good word. <laughs> so it, it was kind of because I was the Ethiopian girl. Ethiopia wasn't much known. But in the Middle East, where I see daily, and especially as a woman, you feel like when you're doing, because still people ask me when I'm somewhere coming in, oh, where is the owner? I still get that daily. So to say, no, no, this one, I'm the owner, unless I feel like they're going to talk too much. And I say, he's not coming. He's going to come later. <laughs> oh, I mean, even we get that, um, you know, where people are like, you guys are, the, why are you here? I'm like, what do you mean why are we here? This is our business. I mean, it's our livelihood. Of course we're here. So I think this is a new trend over the last maybe five years or so. Um, I think it's a great trend. I, I, it really is because a lot of the people who did give me my first break, I must say must, it was uh, Kavanche and Chef Izu from uh, Lasser. It was people who are f- facing the similarities of us. And they, were, they didn't choose me because they knew me. They chose the taste of the coffee, but they were able to give me the platform later on. Yeah, and they could relate to the channel. Yes, and almost everybody, like you and Hani, everybody is who's building their business here. It's really mostly me. I mean, Hani has a very... Ah, It was Hani I actually met first. Well, you may have met him first, but let's just on the record say that it really is. It was was him who chose... (laughs) It's really 95% me and 5%. I mean, let's just, just say that now. And no, get but it, it really is, though. Now and the, that I'm older, it's, it's, uh, it's nice in a way when I see people, uh, like, you know, like uh, people are motivated and they feel like, oh, my God, you did it. This is going to be done. This can be done. And it really could be done. Uh, it didn't, it took a long time. It took a lot of work. But, you know, almost as soon as I started, things start opening. Like even this new, uh, the cafes are opportunities. Somebody said, do you, are you interested in, because, and I always tell people, unless you start, you don't know. Because if you had asked me when I started six, seven years ago, where do you think Boom Coffee is going to be? I would not even dream of this. Thank you for listening to the Lighthouse Conversations. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and share the episode with your friends. You can listen to all our episodes for free in your favorite podcast player, and you can connect with us on Instagram at thelighthouse underscore AE. See you in two weeks.